0: There are just certain things that we're called to emphasize, certain things that each and every one of us as preachers or teachers of the Word of God, we might have many messages we preach, particularly as a pastor, that's true, you are a general practitioner, you have to minister on a lot of different things, just like, you know, preparing a well-balanced meal, right? You can't just have sweets all the time, or you certainly don't want just veggies all the time, you've got to have a well-rounded, balanced meal, and I think with a pastor particularly, you've got to be a little bit of a... General practitioner and minister to everybody But at the same time I have found in my life that there are certain Messages I just can't get away from In fact there are certain churches when I was in the Traveling ministry that every time I went to that church I would minister on a Particular theme or a similar theme Every single time And in fact I guess that's probably why they kept bringing me Back because they knew that's what we would emphasize And they needed that maybe you know Brought back uh, as an emphasis in that Church from time to time and I know that with me, there's just certain things I can't get away from. I'm not necessarily trying to get away from, but I just know that where my ministry is concerned, these are certain themes that I'm going to be talking about from time to time, or actually quite a lot. Part of it is the participation that each and every one of us has as members of the body of Christ. So we've all been gifted and graced of God to be used in some kind of unique and, and distinct and specific way. I believe that just as the body of Christ at large is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the earth. I believe that in the local church there are also going to be different members that have different functions so that the functioning of the whole can be accomplished. And I think too often times because people don't discern in themselves some kind of exotic gifting. They don't feel that, well, I don't have the same gifting as brothers or sisters, so-and-so. They discount what God has given them. But one day we're all going to stand accountable for what we've done with what we've been given. I think we're all familiar with the parable of the talents where the master gives the talent certain weights of gold or gives the servant certain weights of gold he gives one five, one two, one one and basically gives an accounting Right? there's an accounting what have you done with what you've been entrusted with and even though that's talking specifically about finances the parable is talking about stewardship in other words What have you done with what you've been entrusted with? The Bible says it's required of stewards that one be found faithful. So all of us are stewards of something. We're all stewards of the goods of God. Whether it's our resources, our finances, our our time, but also in the arena of our giftedness. And so I want to go Romans chapter 12. I could have started any number of places for this teaching, but I think Romans 12 is as good as any. And we're going to look at verses uh, around 3 through 9 or so. Uh, actually, we'll just go three through eight, I think, for simplicity's sake. The Apostle Paul here is talking, and really what I'm just titling this today is Grace and Limitations. Grace and Limitations. Let me just say this before I begin reading this. Um, when I was a kid, growing up, I always thought of limitations as a negative thing. You know, if you said so and so, they're really good, but they're a bit limited. You know what? You're, that was always a negative to me. The more I age, the older I get. I have come to embrace my limitations gleefully. Because every time I recognize a limitation in my life, an absence of grace or divine enablement, that's just one less thing I have to do. That's one less thing I'm responsible for. So I think the more we can embrace our limitations, then it helps us to focus and zero in on those things we are called and gifted of God to do. And like I said, I'd rather do one thing well than try to run like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to do a lot of things that I really am not suited or equipped or called of God to do. And so I want to say that as a challenge because I think a lot of times in our day we conflate the ideas of fruitfulness and busyness. And today people brag about being busy as though that's what made them valuable or gave them their worth. Oh, I'm just so busy. Meaning I'm just so indispensable. How the world ever got along without me being so busy I'll never know. And I think that busyness is an impediment to fruitfulness. Because oftentimes our busyness causes us to diffuse our energies in a lot of directions that really we would have been better had we just focused ourselves on maybe a a few key priorities. And I think that's true in our service to God as well. So again, in Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, "...for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith." For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that has been given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, serving in other words, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here the Apostle Paul is again coming to this idea that he elaborates on more fully in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body having various members, each of which have a distinctive function. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12 a little bit because there are some aspects there that I think are very important. But he starts off with this exhortation for us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Now that is not the same as saying not to think well of yourself. Or not to appreciate what God has entrusted you with. I think we can have an error on either side. That's really what I kind of want to focus on is these two errors. Of either having an overinflated estimation of the call and gift upon one's life. Or a lack of appreciation and indeed an insecurity where these things are concerned, both of them can be damaging in different ways. But the Apostle Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now I think it's interesting that he says the word faith there because really what Paul's talking about are the different gifts of grace that we've been given. Now the word grace trips us up, particularly in our evangelical circles because When we think of grace, the first thing that usually comes to our mind is unmerited favor. God's riches at Christ's expense, the old acronym. And that is certainly true. When it comes to salvation, we don't merit salvation. It's the gift of God's grace apart from our works. We understand that. But the word grace is very broad in its output. It's kind of like the word wisdom. The word wisdom has a very broad application. The word grace does too. But the one common denominator, the two common denominators of the word grace, is it always speaks of something... ...that is given to us by the beneficence of God... ...the benevolence of God... ...apart from our merit... ...and apart from our native ability... ...salvation is a good example... ...I can't merit it... ...and I certainly can't save myself, right? So it's the gift of God by His grace... ...but also the tools we have... ...by which we serve God... ...the gifting, we call it sometimes... ...sometimes that word gift is translated... ...from the same Greek word as grace... ...but it means something bestowed upon us again... Apart from our merit, we, we don't earn our way into a certain office of service. And also apart from our native ability. In other words, when you're called and anointed of God, whatever gifts God gives you are more than just the sum of natural talent. Now, thank God for talent. You know, Gail sits and plays the piano. There's a, a talent there, obviously it's huge. But there's something more than just a talent. There's a gift. Something that God bestows His divine grace. Because I can get up there, and I can put my fingers on those same keys. And even if I were to study a little while and probably try to get practiced at it, I probably would not have the same facility, right, that she does. Why? Because there's an absence of grace there. Now, the interesting thing is, I've watched this in my own life, and I've talked about this before, but I think it's important to recognize the difference between an ability and a gift. I can sing. In fact, I've been called upon to sing... Many times, particularly things like funerals, weddings, um, and I used to sing with the gospel quartet, and I particularly uh, have sung a lot, like at funerals, a cappella, like out in places where you're maybe in the opening, like at a military funeral, something like that. So I've done that a number of times, and I can pull it off, I can carry a tune, and as a result of that, people have asked me from time to time, will you leave worship? And almost invariably, if I have a choice, I'll say no. <laughs> now, obviously, I feel in here because it's, it's necessary. But when I say that, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be humble. And I'm not saying that because I don't want to serve. If there's someone that has a gift along that line, I will always defer to them. Because I know there's a difference between just a natural ability to carry a tune and someone who's actually gifted to lead worship. There's a real distinction between those two. Now I remember, and I've shared this I'm sure before, but years ago I attended a church right here in Bakersfield, California, and periodically the guy that led worship was not able to be there. He worked in the oil fields, still does in fact, and I think he actually ended up going overseas, working in the oil fields. In fact, he married a lady from uh, the country where he was, I think, stationed. So anyway, but, but he could only come ever so often. And so oftentimes the rest of us, the flunkies, we would get up there and we would you know, kind of just you know, carry a tune and get through it, but whenever He would show up, I am telling you, the worship would transcend anything that we were doing with our little ability. You know, to carry a tune and just leave folk alone. He would get up there, and the only way I can say this, there was a divine presence upon it. We call it the anointing, right? The grace of God was certainly upon Him to leave worship. And I remember one time, He had been God for a long time. We'd been filling in, just trying to, you know, limp through the worship services. And He showed up on Wednesday night. He came on a Wednesday And he began to lead worship. The moment he did, you sensed that presence, the presence of God. And all of a sudden, he stopped right in the middle of worship and gave an invitation. And people began to stream down the aisle and give their hearts to Christ. I mean, it was just amazing. There was no real preaching per se, but it was just the hand of God upon him to do it. I'm sure we've seen different ones. Billy Graham is a great example of someone anointed, obviously, to be an evangelist. And he wasn't the most dynamic preacher. Now, when he was young, if you get old videos of Billy Graham, oh man, he's a firebrand. But as he got older, he became a lot more sedate, a lot more statesmanlike, And he would say things like, you're lonely. You need to come to Christ. You need purpose in your life. And then he'd give an invitation and 3,000 people nightly would come down to just as I am without one place and give their hearts to Christ. What is that? It's the hand of God upon His life. It's a grace. But as great as those gifts are, that's where they're gifted. They're not. They're not doing it all. And we, we, you know, we highlight that gift because it's so remarkable. But you think about it. Any time we recognize a gift, let me, I, I, I'm trying to put it there's a whole lot more that I can't do than I can do. In other words, there's a lot of areas in which a person might be gifted, but I'm not gifted in all those. I'm gifted in maybe one, one or two areas where I can recognize a grace in my life. Same with you. And sometimes, you know, we do have people that are very much multi-talented or gifted in different ways, but for the most part, we're all limited. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He said, don't think more hard of yourself than you ought to. One member does not a body make. And we are all uniquely graced. We all have a different function according to the gift of the grace of God. Now, the thing about grace, grace is always and only given expression through faith. Salvation is that way, right? The grace of God is upon us and available to us to be saved. But until you exercise faith in the claims of the gospel, that grace is not expressed in your direction, even though it's freely available. And I've found the same thing is true when it comes to giftedness. You can be gifted, have the hand of God upon you to do something, but until you step out in faith... Like I said, I'm glad that when I started preaching... There were no electronic devices to record the messages, because it was not fit for human consumption. I'll just put it that way. I'll be gentle with myself and just say it was, not, it was not that great. I remember my very first message I preached out of a living Bible. It was one of these little paper Bibles about this big, and I just opened it up to 1 Peter 4. I read a couple of verses and tell folks what I thought it meant, and I got through about 1 Peter chapter 4 and sat down as quick as I could, and that was my first message, and it was... Holy pathetic I mean I think some people actually lost their salvation No they didn't But it wasn't, it wasn't great So, but, but what was I doing? I was stepping out in faith And I can't say that first time I accessed much grace But the more I did it And the more comfortable I came And the more I came to recognize This is indeed the call of God in my life There was, one, there was a day And I remember distinctly when it began to happen I got behind the pulpit and I stepped out in faith And all of a sudden As I did so I tapped into something And suddenly there was an enablement that came on me, that was flowing through me, that was definitely beyond me. And there have been many a times, friends, when I've come away from the pulpit, and I thought, man, that was so good, I should have taken notes on me. But the fact of the matter was, I knew that it was not me, or my native ability... That it was the hand of God speaking through me to help people in that congregation. The thing is, when God gives you, it's because He loves other people. I like what one fellow said, when God anointed you, it's because He had someone else on His mind. Meaning that that gift is for the service of others. And that's why we can't really take upon ourselves any kind of merit. Because again, it's God's divine enablement. Really, it should evoke Humility. Because when we recognize how well God uses us, it's really a testament to His divine enablement. All the stuff He's working past to use us, not in spite of ourselves, sometimes, not necessarily because because of ourselves. I would say that in the New Testament, I would say there's about three lists of spiritual gifts or endowments. One we just read First Corinthians. I mean, sorry, Romans chapter twelve. Then in First Corinthians chapter twelve, there's a list of certain spiritual gifts. And then you can look at certain ministries that he lists in other places like the latter part of 1 Corinthians 12 or even Ephesians 4 when he talks about, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So depending on how you, depending on how you count it, three or four lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And in every one of them I see two things. Number one, in every one there is an invitation or really I could say it this way, an injunction. To participate in the grace of God. Again, unto every one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it might be a different measure. It might be a different gift. But all of us are called to participate somewhere in God's divine enablement. He's gifted each and every one of us in some way, somehow. So in every one, there's an invitation or an injunction to participate. But number two, there are always inherent limitations in that grace. Now, like I said, unto every one of us, grace was given... According to the measure of Christ's gift. So all of us are gifted. And in that way, the church resembles more a battleship than it does a cruise ship. Now the problem with a lot of churches today, and I talk to my wife about this a lot. I think there is a mistake in many large churches when they staff everything out. And they have everything that's done in the church is done by paid staff. Because what happens then is the lay people, which is not a biblical term... But the people in the congregation don't have an opportunity to exercise their spiritual gifts because, you know, we got a staff guy that does that. And I think that is a mistake. I think that we need to give everybody an opportunity to exercise some giftedness, some area of service. Number one, it produces ownership, right? I mean, you're not going to invest in anything that you don't feel you're really a part of. And I think that's part of what needs to take place. Uh, And and likewise, on a battleship, having, you know, everybody, it's all hands on deck. In a cruise ship, it's not like that. In a cruise ship, you've got a small crew of folk who are doing all the work. Everybody else is just kind of lounging on the deck and enjoying the amenities. And eating way, way too much, right? I mean, that's a cruise ship. And sometimes at a potluck, it might feel like that at church. But nevertheless, my point being, that you only have a handful of people doing the work, and most of the other people are just kind of enjoying the benefits of that. Well, I think, unfortunately, it's too many churches have become a cruise ship in that regard. And that they allow, like I said, a staff of people to handle the heavy lifting and the others kind of come and go. I'll never forget, I've heard this before, I was in, a, uh, I was in Vermont years ago planting a church. And a fellow came up to me bragging about the 2,000 member church he was attending there in town, it's the only megachurch all of Vermont has. And he said, oh, I love that church. I come, I go. Nobody asked me to do nothing. And I thought to myself, I wanted to say you jerk, but I didn't because you're not supposed to say that if you're a preacher. But I wanted to. Because he's missing the whole point. The whole point of church is not to go and leave incognito. It's to participate and to contribute, right? That's why Paul said we're all members of the body. We all have function. Saying you're a member of the family is one thing. That means you have belonging. You know, you're a member of the father's family. We have brothers and sisters of the Lord. But saying you're a member of the body implies you have function. And that's different. That's different. You know, for years, there are certain parts of the body that we don't really know what that does, so we'll just take it out. Things like the appendix or the tonsils, right? We found out those are crucial for fighting infection and things like that. But, you know, there are no unnecessary members of the body. All of us have function. And so we need to get that straight in our minds that we are not a cruise ship, we're a battleship, and we all have function. It should be all hands on deck. But again, on that battleship, what do you have? You have limited function. Everybody has a task, everybody has a job, maybe one or two small ones, but everybody's got something to do, but nobody does everything, right? Even if you're cross-trained, ideally you have one or two things you're responsible for and that's it. Why? Because everybody's got a different function, everybody's been trained to do something distinctively. I was thinking about this in the realm of sports. Um, You know, I've been a, a, a Tom Brady fan for a number of years. He's kind of generally regarded as the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time. And if you ask a lot of commentators, you know, this debate goes on all the time, and some will say he's the greatest football player that ever suited up. Well, here's the thing. Take that for what you will, but here's the thing. If you look at somebody like that, there's a lot more on the football field he can't do than he can. In fact, Tom Brady would be the first to tell you, there's no other position on that field he can play except quarterback. And the only reason he can play that Especially at his advanced age Is because there's somebody there to help keep him upright Right? He's the most unathletic Maybe the place kicker would beat him out But he's the most unathletic guy on his team So the only thing he can do Is play that position of quarterback But he's so good at doing it That we don't think about all the things he can't do I'm, I'm a fan of the Golden State Warriors They play today at 1230 Could you pray for them? But anyway They're playing against the Grizzlies today and there's a fellow on their team. In fact, he went to the same school as my stepson, Blaine, Michigan State. His name's Draymond Green. Draymond Green is regarded as one of the best basketball players on that team. But Steph Curry tonight will probably score up in the 30s. So will Clay Thompson. Draymond Green will be lucky to get out of the single digits. But I guarantee you, if he weren't playing, they would probably lose. Because number one, he's their best defensive player and he manages the court. So what I'm saying is, everybody has different ways in which they participate, and everyone is valuable, but nobody does it all. Draymond's not going to win the game for you, but without him, he can cost you the game. And I think this is how what we have to recognize and, and find peace with, is that, no, we can't do it all. I don't want to do it all. I'm not even interested in doing it all. What I want to do is find where can I contribute with the gift God has given me, and serve there and recognize that that is enough for me to be faithful with the grace God has given unto me. Certainly, you know, there are certain things you don't need a special gift to do. Like one fellow said, you don't have to be Mother Teresa to help set up chairs, right? Uh, And so there are certain things we can all do. We don't have to be particularly gifted. But I'm talking about when it comes to serving God with the gifts God has given us, you know, just function in that grace God has given you and appreciate what He has given you. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at this Maybe on a little bit broader spectrum. You know, again, like I said, grace is accessed by faith. And so until you step out and start to use what God has given you, you probably will not experience that expression of grace. Now, I've served God over the years in many different capacities just because of needs being present in the church. Not necessarily feeling gifted. I mean, I've been in nursery. I've done children's. I've done, you know, all sorts of different things that I didn't feel particularly called or gifted to do. But there was a need. And so I I chimed in, you know, stepped in, helped fill the need, and that's fine. But there's something about stepping into that area of grace that God has called you to. I call it serving in your sweet spot. If you've ever... I'm not a golfer. But every once in a while when I have gone golfing, I've hit a golf ball so perfectly right in the sweet spot of that club that you didn't even feel you hit it. You know what I'm talking about? And, And when you do that, it goes straight... It goes far, and you think, did I really just hit that? And it was so easy, it was effortless. Why? Because you, were sur- you hit it right in that perfect area on that club. Same thing with a tennis racket. You hit it right in the sweet spot of that racket. You have more power, you have more precision. And when you serve in your sweet spot, in that place where God has graced you, there's just, again, an enablement, a, 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 how can I say, a heightened ability upon you to do that. A joy in it and a fruitfulness that does not come by just doing whatever we do in our own strength and ability. First Corinthians chapter 12 beginning with verse 14. Paul brings this idea up again. For in fact the body is not one member but many. Again, what does that mean? Limitation. Again, we've got a lot of different members doing a lot. You've got a little squiggly parts in your body you don't even, you've never seen. You don't know what they are. You don't know the Latin name for them. But if you didn't have it, you'd probably die. So I'm glad for all those little squiggly parts, right? Those little, little little organs down in my body, and little, I don't know what they are, but all those things down in there. And you know, there, it's amazing how much we don't appreciate certain things until they're not working right. Same thing can be true on your car. I'm not a, an automobile aficionado, but I've had things go wrong in my car that I didn't even know my car had. But I tell you, once it went wrong, I could tell you all about it, because the mechanic charged me for it, told me about it, and had to get a new one, Right? And so it's amazing how oftentimes we don't appreciate certain aspects of service until they're not there anymore. Again, the body is not one member of the many. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each of them in the body, just as He pleased And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 20, notice this. But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we sow greater honor... And our unpresentable parts have the greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So let me just stop there and say this. There's two great potential dangers here. Number, number one is despising another member because its gifting is, is not the same as yours, or it's, it's not something that you value. You know... Um, I've seen this with people that are really called along a certain line. Like, for example, you can have somebody that's really called to children's ministry. And I've seen this happen. Maybe they need some volunteers. Maybe they need some help. And so they'll get up. Maybe the pastor says, come on up and make a pitch and see if you can get some volunteers. And so by the time they get done talking about children's ministry, you kind of feel like, well, man, if I'm not doing that, I'm not really serving God. I mean, they made it sound so valuable and important. Because number one, they have a grace along that line. And they can impress upon you how important it is. But also there's something about us that whenever we're gifted along a certain line, we kind of get myopic and that's all we can see. Like, for example, I know people that are gifted evangelists. They can just win people to Christ so easily. And they kind of feel like if everybody else is not doing the same thing, they're hardly saved. You know, that kind of thing. So we have to be careful about not appreciating the divergent gifts other people have just because they're not gifted in the same way we are. And I've seen this happen before. I remember when I was in Bible school, just trying to tell you a humorous story along this line. I was kind of seeking God about, Lord, what do you really want me to do? I knew there were certain things I... I was a Bible teacher. I kind of saw that. But I was really just open to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to... I'll be a missionary. I'll be a... The only thing I really didn't want to do... <clears throat> was pastor. I don't know what that was about. But I think maybe it's just because my stereotype of pastors, they were easy to identify. They're the guy, big guy with the uh, chicken dinner belly. You know what I'm saying? Because in, in, somebody said chicken was the gospel bird in the denomination I grew up They're, they're just having chicken dinners at everybody's house. And I always recognized the pastor because his bubble was in the middle, kind of thing. So I, I didn't like that stereotype of pastor. So I wanted to be something a little more exotic, like maybe a missionary coming through the jungle and saving the native I don't know what I thought. So anyway, I'm the like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And one of the things, I grew up, again, in the domination that prized evangelists, but to me, once you got saved, what good's an evangelist? I mean, I'm already saved. I don't need them. What good are they? And so I really didn't value the gift of the evangelists. I thought, well, you know, they're just for the lost vote and they're out there in the, you know, keep them somewhere away. <laughs> I just didn't value them because I thought, well, you know, I've already saved. What, what do I need them for? Then I was at, like I said, I'm at Bible school, and I remember one day I came home, turned on Christian television, there was a A guy there by the name of Mario Murillo. In fact, he's all over California doing tent meetings and evangelistic meetings all throughout the United States still today. Uh, But he was a younger man and real fiery. And I remember listening to him. And I remember my heart getting stirred up. By the time Mario was done, I thought, man, let's go win some souls. And I thought, where where did that come from? I thought evangelists weren't worth anything. I I, I didn't think you need one. And I realized the gift of an evangelist. Again, all these gifts are helped to equip the church. And the gift of an evangelist is to impress upon us the need to win the lost, to value the need to win the lost and see the lost as valuable and precious in the sight of God. And so I I began to appreciate that. You would think I would have had a greater appreciation for evangelists because when I was a younger man, even than that, I'll never forget. I was invited to come up to New Newquiamma, you know, up on the other side of... Uh, tapped all the way to the coast over there. I used to preach in both the Assembly of God and the Southern Baptist Church. They'd have me come up there and preach whenever the pastor was gone. And I remember the pastor was gone at the Southern Baptist Church for three Sundays in a row. So they were going to give me the pulpit Sunday morning, Sunday night for three weeks. Man, that was like saying stick him to a bulldog. I was a young kid with a call on my life, and and that was like I was almost like a permanent position. You know, I thought, man, I'm I'm going to be preaching for three whole weeks. Are so you kidding? Come on, that's awful. So I went up there and I did my thing. First week, I taught the Word of God, went really well. Second week, I taught the will of God. Sunday, Sunday morning service Sunday, went great. But you know, growing up again with this heavy evangelistic denomination like I did, I felt I needed to have at least one service where I said, hey, Bring your lost friends, man, we're going to have an evangelistic service. So I said, Last Sunday, we'll do that. Last Sunday, I'm with you. We're going to have an evangelistic service. Bring your lost friends. And they did. So I got up there and I tried for about 20-25 minutes to be an evangelist. Let me say, there have been a lot of failures in the history of humanity. The Hindenburg didn't go so well. Uh, There's other things, you know, that kind of made a big mushroom cloud of failure. But I don't think there was anything quite as disastrous as my attempt in that little Southern Baptist church to be an evangelist. It was horrific. Like I said, I think some people lost their salvation rather than getting saved. It was so bad. And what made it worse was the pastor who had given me his pulpit for three weeks had come back early for vacation and there he was sitting in the front row. And it was just so horrible. And I was so thankful I had Sunday night. I had one more service. I was going to be able to redeem myself. So I didn't try to be Joe Evangelist when I came back that night. I'm just, i just going to teach the Word of God. That's what I'm called to do. And sure enough, I did. And you know what? The grace of God was there And I redeemed myself. At least I hope I did. I don't know if the pastor ever asked me back. I can't remember. But anyway. But again, just the valuing different gifts for their respective strengths. Now the funny thing, I'll just close with this. I remember when I was, uh, years later, i graduated from Bible school. And I was invited by a friend. I'd just gotten back here. And I was invited by a friend to come and minister at the Bakersfield Rescue Mission. And I know that's a soul winning opportunity, right? But I remembered my experience at that little Southern Baptist church. And I thought... I'm not going to try to be Joe Evangelist. I'm just going to go there teach a little Bible lesson. Do what I do. You know, just fill the role that God has called me to fill. So I had my little teaching with me. I was about to get up to the pulpit. And just on the inside of me, something said, nah, I don't want you to do that. And I thought, Lord, what do you want me I mean, I didn't have lesson number two prepared. I didn't have message number. Back in those days, I pretty much had to preach whatever I had at the time. Because I didn't have like number two, number three in my repertoire yet. But the Lord just directed my heart to one verse, and that's where the Apostle Paul said, I was the chief of sinners, and God showed mercy on me as, a, as an example to those who would believe afterward. So I went to that passage of Scripture, and I think it's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, around verse 14, and I just, for, for 20 minutes, God turned me into an evangelist. I mean, I was Billy Graham, Reinhard Boggy, I was all those guys and wrapped into one. And when I got done, I gave an altar call, and nine souls lifted their hands, for salvation. They were probably really just lifting their hands saying, can we end this now because we want to go to the soup kitchen and eat something? But anyway, nine souls. And I'll never forget, that was the only time, first and last time, God ever blessed me to be an evangelist from the pulpit from the standpoint of like preaching a soul winning message in that way. But it just goes to show you God can use you anyway. But I've never again doubted the value of that ministry. Because I know what I'm called and what I'm not called to do. And I think when we appreciate our limitations, it should give us a greater appreciation for those other ministries who do differently than we do. Right? That serve in different capacities. I guess maybe I see things a little bit differently. Uh, because I am a pulpit minister, a lot of times people want to give that the attention. You know, like, oh, that guy... Because he's a public, you're a public figure. But But since I'm... From the position I am, I see things very differently. And I think, I wish I would, I would love to see some graces come back into the church that I think have been lost, particularly with our, you know, our way of doing church now, is kind of like get them in, get them out, you know, especially in the larger churches sometimes. And one of the things that I think that we need to see back into the church, and I'm not saying we don't have it here, I think we do. I think it's one of the best gifts we have as a little church here. But I think about the gift of hospitality. Now, I, I believe there's a real grace. For hospitality. I remember growing up in our home. You know my mom. Would frequently have guests over. We had a roast in the oven every Sunday. It was kind of like you know. The Ten Commandments. The eleventh was. You shall have roast on Sunday. And my mom had a roast every Sunday. And she'd invite my friends over. College kids. Other members of the church. Whoever needed a place to eat. They'd come over to the house. And we'd have roast. And then on Sunday nights. After evening service. Sometimes even on a Wednesday night. My mom would make coffee. And have these little. I still to this day. I I don't eat them now. Because of our diet plan, but she would have these I call them cheap cookies, they're like the kind you can get like, you know, a thousand for one ninety nine at the bottom of the food, and she would get those you know, sandwich cookies, vanilla, chocolate, whatever and she would get those, and then she would have people come over to the house, and I remember as a kid, going to bed with the sound of loved ones in the other room, just sharing talking, fellowshipping, having coffee and cookies, what a wonderful way to grow up, and I think to myself we need those gifts back just that Barnabas-like spirit of encouragement that says, hey, I'll put my arm around you and, you know, give you a sense of inclusion and, and why, don't we, why don't you let me take you to dinner and have a meal with you or come over to the house and have roast with us or whatever the case may be. I just think there's some things that are so valuable and precious in the church that we don't see as frequently today because of just the pace of life and because everybody's so busy with their own thing. But I think that when we have all these gifts functioning, it really makes the church not just an institution, but a family. And I think that's what the church has. that's such a strength over other things. I mean, thank God we teach the Word. Thank God we do. But really, it's that sense of inclusion, that sense of welcome. You know, it's like the old show Cheers. Everybody wants a place where everybody knows your name. And I think that is true. That sense of inclusion belonging is so important. So I say bring back the gift of hospitality and all these other kinds of things as well. Because I'll tell you what, there's, there's connections you make over a plate of food that you'll never make just in a Bible study. And there's just something that's valuable about all these things coming together to be the church, to be the family of God. Everybody utilizing their gifts for the upbuilding of the body is valuable, it's precious. Everybody, every gift is important and needed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the gift of God that You've given in every heart, in every life. We thank You for the great diversity. Father God, so diverse. So many things, Father God, that different people are gifted to do in unique and distinct ways. Father may, may we never denigrate the gift we've been given but may we be able to esteem the gifts of others and Father God may we have just a good sense of balance about these things that that, that we realize no one position wins the game that Father God there are valuable players regardless of what they do or how they contribute may we recognize that in our own lives too that we might contribute according to the gift you've given us we give you be thanks and praise for it father in jesus name we pray amen